91.3 KBCS, Music and Ideas, listener-supported radio from Bellevue College. Antonio Guerrero, whose real name is not being used to protect his identity, was picked up by ICE in 2019 and detained for two years before his release at the end of last year. Guerrero speaks about what it was like for him to be picked up by ICE and navigating life in detention. Honestly, I didn't really knew anything about ICE. I know there was immigration. I got to know them really well <laughs> uh, from the first time I got picked up. But uh, other than that, not once I believe uh, anything like that, I thought it was going to happen to me until it happened. It's, it's just something that you don't see it coming. It just, it just, uh, it just happened. I know I had a green card. I know I had a, a social security, but uh, all this year, I never really thought about becoming a U.S. citizen. It was always like, you know, working and, and being there for my kids, spending uh, trips and vacations with them, uh, going to Hawaii, um, going to Superwood, trying to give them things that I didn't have when I was young. I was working that year. I was working two jobs. I was working from uh, six in the morning to roughly two o'clock. And I would get up from work from that job in the morning, five days a week, and I would go to the next one from 3.30 to 11.30. That was five days a week. Basically, I was have two full-time jobs, making about 15 to 16 hours a day. That day was my day off. I believe it was a Thursday. The only day off I had was Thursday. That was the day that I will always take them to school. Just five in the morning, we got ready, and uh, we got in my car and right when probably about half a block away from my house, they pulled me over, not just one car, but it was like three or four of them with their gun drawing and calling your name, get out of your car. At some point, I kind of resist a little bit. Uh, at first, because uh, I didn't know who they were. Uh, I repeat myself to them many times and let them know, say, who are you, you know, what you guys, are you the police? Are you the FBI? Are you the CIA? Who? Who are you? And like, well, we don't have to tell you anything. We are pharaoh, and we don't have to tell you anything. All we know is have a warrant for your arrest, and if you don't get out, we'll break your window, we'll drag you. And all this was happening when, at that time, I had my. Uh, she was 14 years old at the time, and my young one was 11 at the time, and. Uh, so the boys, the boys were really um, freaking out, you know, crying, and uh, I had to calm themselves. And I refused to get out of my car. I refused, and I told them that my car was private. It's a private property. They don't have the right to do any of that. And they would tell me the same thing. Uh, nope. We are feral, and all you need to know is that we are one for any arrest, and. So basically, I refused. I told my kids uh, to grab the phone, call their mother, and uh, to record. And about five minutes, my wife came down and uh, um, started talking to them. And uh, I guess I believe they showed her the warrant. Uh, I request to see the warrant. They won't give it to me. They won't show me. They never showed me the warrant. At that point, I needed, uh, basically, I didn't get enough of the car, voluntary, because I didn't want it to after girl, see how I was gonna get drugs because I was refusing at the time. I was refusing unless they show me the warrant, unless they uh, 
I wanted them to tell me who they were. And so by then they were they were basically with mad at me. They were angry and yelling at me. So as soon as I opened the door, they just pulled me out and cuffed me and threw me in the car. Your wife then was there, uh, so she was able to take the children, um, but they must have been just completely traumatized from this event. Yeah, it was it was terrible. Um, I didn't really know anything for about six weeks, six, seven weeks. Finally, have a like a court day, and it was scary. It was scary. It's scary not knowing what was happening. I would say the first couple months, it was tough. It was horrible. Going into a place where I didn't knew anybody, and I thought about, like I said, 70 to 100 people in one unit, different, all different background from Africa, Russia, Central, South America. China, Korea, um, Philippines, everywhere, Jamaica. And it, it was hard to, to be able to relate. Um, everybody had their own opinion or their own way to think. And uh, it, was, it was tough. What medical tried to do is to medicate people. Everything is medication. I would say about 90 98% of the people there, at some point, they have taken medicine to sleep, they have taken medicine to, for excitement, for depression, for, for anything. There's no, no other way. That's the way they keep you from uh, being yourself. So it's, it's, it's hard. In October, a district court ruling found that Geo Group, the private company operating the Northwest Detention Center, must pay detainees the $13 an hour Washington State minimum wage for working inside the detention center. Jobs included cooking, cleaning, and laundry services. Guerrero, whose name has been changed to protect him, describes the work in the detention center. I want to ask you about the work in geo because of this lawsuit that happened. So you're detained, which is, you know, locked in cells, right? And on a daily basis, what was this work that you had been assigned? How did that work? From my own experience, they come in and they ask you that if you want to work, uh, they give you a piece of paper to sign. They never let you read it. They just want you to sign it. They don't give you a copy. They don't tell you what you're signing. I don't like to sign it unless I know what I'm signing. I need to read or I need a copy of it. And uh, they don't do that. They just say, here, you want to work, sign this paper, and you're good to go. So basically, they hide everything on you. I remember the, um, uh, many of us who work for uh, $1 a day who clean the bathrooms, the showers, the tables. They would do, uh, serve the food, work in the kitchen up to five, six hours a day for $1. Work in the laundry uh, from six in the morning to like 11. It was, they were a tough job. It was a tough job and uh, the only thing it would pay you is a dollar. 
they will say, well, you can eat for free if you want. But it's, I, always, I always disagree with it. I never really like it. I did it because I needed it. Because of my circumstance with, uh, with my family, my wife losing her job during the time the uh, COVID started, during the time my young daughter uh, came down with cancer at the time. So it was really, really hard for me not to uh, able to get that, mo- that dollar a day for me to be able to be able to communicate or be able to see my family through a video call. It was, it was you had it to work. If you served the food, you had it to work in the morning, find the morning, wake up, serve the food, wait everybody to finish, put the stuff away, and, and then the same thing at lunch, the same thing at dinner. They will be checking on you. They'll be every day. They'll be like, hey, you do your job. Hey, you do this. You know, go do your job. You know, they were on top of you every day, every, every time. Uh, checking on you, making sure that you do the job for a dollar. Some of the guys that I knew working for up to six hours, like, and I remember recalling, telling them, what will you guys do a job for one dollar for six, four, six hours? And they would tell me, you know, well, it's, we don't have money, or this is what we need to communicate with our family or our kids. And so I understood them, you know, the process the, the, of the dollar a day, I disagree with, and I always have, and I always will, but I understand where we're coming from. A dollar doesn't see much in the outside, but in the inside, um, when you don't have money to able to communicate and visit your family, it's, it's really it's really a lot. That was Antonio Guerrero, whose name has been changed to protect him. He had been detained for two years at the U.S. ICE Detention Center in Tacoma before being released in December. I spoke with him within a month of his release. Since the ruling requiring Geo Group to pay $17.3 million on back bay to current and former detainees, they have suspended the detainee work program and is appealing the ruling. 91.3 KBCS. Tsuru for Solidarity, Local Japanese American Citizens Leagues, Dencho Project, Minidoka Pilgrimage, and La Resistencia are organizing an action in observance of the 80th anniversary of the Day of Remembrance tomorrow, February 19th. Most Japanese Americans in the Seattle area spent their first few months in detention at the Puyallup Fairgrounds until their transfer to the concentration camps at Minidoka, Idaho, and Tule Lake, California. There's a planned gathering in the same location where barracks once housed incarcerees. Survivors, their families, and community members will share the history and personal experiences from the site. Then the group will travel to the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma to remember and resist the injustices of the past and present. For more information on this event, you can go to the KBCS website at kbcs.fm. For more KBCS stories and to support our work with a donation, you can visit kbcs.fm.